doing? How you feeling? How you living? Thanks for joining me today. It's your girl, Akua, your host for Dem Coins Podcast, where we help millennials of faith gain clarity on what they truly value, manage and increase their income, and crush their financial goals. And in today's episode, we are talking to Olu Sanya again, part two of living debt-free, debt-free business, debt-free entrepreneurship, and so much more. Well, hello, amazing, amazing people. Happy February. Happy Love Month. Happy Black History Month. Happy all of the things. I hope you are well. I hope you are in good spirits. Hope you are out there crushing them financial goals. Some interesting things happening in the uh, financial space. You know, stock markets doing loops and tricks and bounds and... (laughs) If you're a buy and holder, hey, this is the time to do <laughs> what you came to do and buy and hold. Um, interest rates, you know, are slowly but surely climbing back up. Inflation is very much still a thing. But here we are, prospering, living, doing our thing, getting this cash money, right? Getting to the bag and keeping our integrity intact. And, um... I just wanted to make this small uh, disclaimer. Um, Sometimes we have to be really careful um, when we start talking about uh, finances and sort of um, God's, you know, role in our finances and things like that. Because one thing that I don't want this podcast to become is a podcast that is very, um, uh, you know, um, charismatic-y, um, prosperity gospel-y, you know, if you catch my drift, you know what I'm talking about. Um, I don't want this to become a thing and we have to be very careful, right? This whole like, oh, you have not cause you ask not. Well, if you read the actual scripture, It really is talking about you have not because you ask with poor intentions, right? So as we're out here, you know, we're getting this money, you know what I'm saying? We're living our lives. We are, you know, connecting with our maker. We're improving our relationships. We're improving our fitness. All of our, you know, all of our overlapping goals. I just want to be clear that this is not uh, prosperity gospel. This is not name it and claim it enterprises, right? Because what happens with that is that sometimes we begin to look at God like he's some kind of genie, right? Like, so it's Lord, I'm a believer, and I'm supposed to have all of these, um, you know, earthly possessions and all of this money because I'm a believer. And, you know, you owe it to me because I'm faithful. And, y'all, that's not, mm-mm, mm-mm, that's not the game. That's not the game we're playing. That's not the long-term play. We are acquiring money because it's a defense and a resource. We are acquiring money um, because we need it to live, but also we use it to bless others. And sure, there is time for enjoyment. I'm not saying you should not enjoy your life, but I just, again, this is not, you know, name and claim it ministries for those that are just joining. Thank you. Thank you. If this is your first time. 
uh, feel free to go back and listen to part one of um, this amazing two-part series. And yeah, we're going to pick up where we left off with Olu. And the last sort of tidbit of part one, um, he was talking about basically that we do have the money to invest and save and do all those things, but we're spending a lot of our money on crap. So without further ado, let's get into part two. If you look at how much crap you're buying and how disciplined you are financially and how you're spending, you realize there's just some things you can do to make sure you're there. You know, I was mentoring a group of um, young people um, who are all three siblings. They're all in junior, senior year, and one is a freshman. And I was working, you know, uh, the mom was just a mom kind of with them, only you know, had only that one parent. And so I had dinner with them. And one of the things I was just telling them is the plan for you, and the mom has done very great based on my, actually, they were all students that came through our SET prep, you know, as a Nigerian oh, family. Oh, okay, nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's where I, I met them. And so the mom has just stayed in contact with me. So when the older one was going to, she ended up actually going to Georgia Tech. Um, so when she was going to Georgia, she had called me just to thank me for helping her daughter do well on the SAT test. And she was like, oh, man, you know, and then the school fees came up. And she was like, I know she was thinking of making sure that she applies for student loans to pay for the school. So I stopped her. I was like, hold up, you're in-state. Georgia Tech is an in-state school. How much is the school fees? And she said, oh, it was like five, $6,000. So I told her, I was like, you need to pay that. She should not be getting student loans for that. You need to find a way to pay that because the, one of the best gifts you can give your daughter is to get her to call it debt-free. All our other pairs are going to have student loans. If she can come out no debt, we can make her a millionaire very quickly and, and just blew her mind that, that as simple as that concept is, she's like, you know, I never thought about that. Now, the girl is a senior. She doesn't have any student loan debt and she's doing the same thing for her to siblings as well. So she calls me back just like, just that conversation we had has allowed me to do something for them that when I look back at it, I'm realizing how much of a gift I've given them not having the student loans. And so when I was meeting with them just about two weeks ago, I said, well, the next part chapter of this is now you don't have debt, right? How do we ensure that when you come out of college, you have that nice job, you're making good income, that you don't go buy that BMW is not the first thing we're going to do. Keep the same old car, <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. right? So this is my, if you were asking me for a, a template for how you um, can get to that million dollar network as fast as possible, as young as possible, it would sound like this. Come out of that college with no student loans. Don't buy that BMW when you come out. That nice job you have, stay in a small rented apartment, maybe the basement of a, don't even go rent for the apartment complexes. Go to an old lady who, you know, wants some company who uh, has a bigger house, is just alone, who wants to rent a basement, go rent that basement, right? For, for 30%, 40% cheaper than what that local rent is, right? And stack your paycheck. Because the first, the first thing you want to buy is your first condo, the first house or first townhouse, right? Something conservative. Mm-hmm. And we want to buy that, which has much down payment down. Ideally, cash, but no, I know not everyone can do that. But <laughs> most people, you know, if they're saying 20% down, I want you to be coming in with 40, 50, 50, 40, 50, maybe 60% down, right? So that you put in so much cash down 
that you're buying that first condo. And in the kind of markets we're having now, let's just let the equity kind of rise on it. You're a young person, you're doing that in your, in your 20s, right? Maybe your you know, life goes on in a relationship, you start having a building family or what have you. You get to the point where you're in your later 20s and you want to move to that next house. You look up and that house you bought, right? With as much down that has grown in equity, you now look at it and say, the money I'm about to crack, and by the way, you paid it off after like three, after like five, six, seven years, right? We don't do 30-year mortgages. You could get one, but you pay it off in five, seven years, right? But the idea then is, I want you by your second home to be mortgage-free. This is my point. I want you by your second home to be mortgage-free. So that's kind of will be kind of like the plan. So that, yeah, that is interesting because... Hmm. That is not um, a very American concept. As you know, we are, we are, we like our debt. We like our leverage. (laughs) Yes. And that's why the most indebted country in the world. And that's, and I will tell you this, that is the one thing that every immigrant group understands because we are not, we grew up in somewhere else in the world and, and don't have an inherent debt concept. So when we come when we come here, it is very easy to convert you to into that because you can get a lot of things very quickly with a with a with a debt concept. But when you kind of realize, I would say one thing: what is your biggest expense monthly? Housing. Housing. So check this out. Do you realize how rich you become if you eliminate your housing cost? So Akua, I'm going to give you a gift for the next three months. Your mortgage is on me. Do you have to worry about it? Just think about what that does to your budget instantly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? It, yeah. it, 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 you, <laughs> I have friends calling me and saying, oh, I have a problem. It's like, what's the problem? Is there something wrong? They're like, I don't know what to do with all this cash. Mm. Because these are folks who paid their mortgage off. Mm. If you've paid your mortgage off, you will actually be waking up somewhat panicking because it, it shifts you to a level of responsibility you've never experienced. If you're making six figures and you don't have a mortgage and you're walking around your house knowing that no one can come take you from you, your brain changes. The house I'm sitting in right now, when we bought it, uh, my wife and I bought it, um, well, it was six years now when we paid cash for it. Unfortunately, when we were looking to move to this place, the house we had before too, we paid cash for it, which much smaller house, much smaller amount. Um, because well, I've not had a mortgage now since, uh, yeah, in, in exactly about 11 years now, I've not had a mortgage, right? So buying this house, so, so I was like, hey, we can, we can, we can pay cash for it. She was like, no, nah, come on, that's a big number. That's uh, almost $360,000. Like, you can't pay cash for that. I was like, why not? We just, there's focus. Let's look at the numbers. Now, conceivably, could we buy a $400,000, $500,000 house at that point? Yeah, if you got a mortgage, but then you do a little bit more conservative than what you can truly afford, conceivably afford in a, in a mortgage kind of environment. But again, it's challenging what the system says you should be doing because you have to ask yourself, was the system designed for you to win? And I'm not conspiratory, conspiratory in that yeah. sense. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying any system is designed for that system to be as a machine to continue to plug along. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The only person who cares about your success is you. I'm sure no, even in some cases, your, your family, not everyone in your family cares about your success as much. And I'm serious about it. The 
only person that cares is you. So I believe in a little bit of self-interest. Everybody, every, any smart country does it. What does the United States say every time? If it's in our national interest, we do it. If it's not in our national interest, yeah. we don't do it. So why aren't you dealing your life the same way? What is in my, now you have to be careful about that. You don't want to just be so, it's not about being so selfish and so self-centered that you don't care about anything else around you. Don't get me wrong. But you have to understand that, you know, when the bankers say, oh yeah, 30 year mortgage and put 20% down. Oh, you can get a refi in the house. You have to ask yourself, does that benefit me or does it benefit them? Mm. And so you, you have to start dealing your life like it's a business, like you have shareholders you must answer to at the next board meeting. If you're not dealing your life like that, you're really, you're not going to be profitable to continue to use that analogy. You, you have to do your life like a business, like it's an LLC and that it has to churn out profits and you have to behave that way. Now that level of discipline or that level of thinking or that level of conversation is not normal to everybody. Um, mm -hmm. And for some people, it's too much. They're like, oh, I just want to go to Kamala Mall or Lennox Mall and just chill. Or <laughs> I just want to go to the seashells or, you know, to uh, what's the next, uh, what's that next, what's that place um, out there? Aruba? In? Yeah, Aruba. And I mean, <laughs> all the fancy places. Yeah. You know, there's one, there's one, uh, you know, you see all of them on Instagram, right? Yeah. But, you know, but you have to ask yourself, and those things are there to enjoy. I go on fabulous vacations too as well, but... I, I make that a reward of some really amazing things that you, you need to get to execute. So yeah, so that's that. I could talk for days. I need to, I need to shut up sometimes. <laughs> that's great. No, that, that is really, that is really interesting and definitely a different perspective. Um, Cause like I said, that is, that is very un-American mm -hmm, <laughs> so, mm -hmm. to not have any debt. And so with your, uh, you mentioned the first property that you bought with your wife. Was that an investment property, or was that just that's our living space, and then we're gonna go invest? In so I've I've been investing in real estate before I met her. Um, since I graduated Georgia Tech in 2003, I bought my first rental property in 2005. So I've been investing now what somewhat almost 16 years, right? Um, you know, if not more. So. You know, buying, getting, I always kind of understood, obviously, based on my background with my grandfather, that owning property was that access, was that back door into wealth, right? But I did it the American way. I got in debt, you know, as this was before the financial crisis in 2008. Mm -hmm. I was $0.8 million in debt, right? With rental properties, with my primary property. Yeah. yeah. So I had mortgages on them. So it's not, I didn't start. And it's actually, yeah, I didn't, yeah, I didn't start just automatically do. I did it the American way, thinking, oh, it's America, you know, they're smarter than anyone else. But when 2008 happened, the financial crisis happened, there was slumping business, the real estate market fell, tenants didn't pay, right? Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, all those mortgages that had to be paying out, they're like, you hear all these people on a lot of these a lot of these real estate stuff, they're like, oh, buy the house and let the tenants pay it off for you. Mm -hmm. does that work in some cases yes does that work in actually a lot of cases yes but all you need is the wrong financial environment to happen and boom it takes you out right and it takes you out because you just can't sustain it right you're having to rob from your own finances to pay that mortgage because that house has been in default like i have a property right now i have a bunch of property in detroit i'm here in atlanta and detroit i have a property right now <clears throat> 
um, Tena moved out like around the November time. It's been sitting there. We've been renovating it, but it's Detroit, so it snowed out. So I find some things I have to do with it before I can rent it out. I can't afford for it to sit out there because I don't have anything going out on it. Because mm. I own it outrightly. Right? Like, the most I can convey is the electric bill just to keep it warm so it doesn't, you know, pipes don't freeze and stuff. That's it. I can afford the property just to sit and get into the right situation with it. But if I had to be paying on it, then that becomes another extra pressure that you have. And those are the things that I experienced in the pre, in the debt situation and come 2008, went through a lot of stuff, foreclosed on a lot of properties that I just couldn't hold any longer because you had mortgages on them. I, there was so much, only so much I could sustain. So I had to let them go. So I told myself, a lot of people would be wiped out by that, right? I would say, hey, you know what? I'm never doing real estate again. It's not for me and blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And a lot of people did. But I... um. Just came out and said, man, I believe in this really. The question is, what was the issue? So it was like a, a it's almost like an autopsy or a self-reflection and thinking, what could have changed or be different about how I did it last time? And to me, my assessment was, yeah, like get rid of the debt situation and kind of buy them cash instead. Luckily, I'm running a good business, very good cash. And that's where I invest uh, invest my, my, my money and stuff. I try, I always tell folks, I try not to spend, I only try, I try my best to spend the grandkids of my money. The grandkids of my money. Essentially, you go nine to five, everyone goes nine to five, whether in a business or if you work corporate, you go nine to five to earn that first income. Yes? Yes. Mm -hmm. You need to live on as little as that as possible and be able to save as much of that to be able to buy your investments. Then the investments grow enough that the investments are bringing in revenue and those investments bring in enough revenue so that they are now buying the of future investments. And that initial nine to five money is not spending, right? So you got the initial nine to five, that's the main one. It bought kids, which is the investments and investment bought kids. So it's the grandkids I want to spend on my money um, because that creates these two layers of ensuring that really you never lack again, right? Um, and it's just really need to look at it from that perspective. It takes a lot, what I'm saying takes a lot of discipline. It takes a lot of work, a lot of people around you, a lot of the right people around you, a lot of the right mentalities around you, knowing and learning the right things. Um, <clears throat> but it can be done. It can be done. I do it. A lot of my friends do it. When I'm in my friends group, um, you know, a lot of us don't have mortgages. If we have mortgages, we're on our way to paying it off, you know. And, you know, and because I preach, I'm like, eliminate your housing you will become fabulously wealthy. You cannot chase the money away. Yeah. Oh, wow. Hmm. Wow, you, yeah, you dropped a lot of nuggets here. And that's interesting. And you mentioned that you uh, invest primarily in Detroit and Atlanta. Yes. Uh, so when you are looking at an investment property, what are the main things? I hear some people say, I look for the worst house in the best neighborhoods, or I look for mm -hmm. the cheapest house, or I don't want to do any work. So like, what do you buy new construction? So what's your yeah, criteria? Yeah, yeah, I mean, the United States is very, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Diverse, very, very rapidly different areas and parts of the country. So I can't speak for every part. I started in Atlanta at a time when in Atlanta, after right after the financial, the real estate financial crisis in 2008, 2009, 2010, 
<clears throat> created a situation where a lot of properties were incredibly discounted, right? Because mm-hmm. they were being, you know, mortgage and uh, developers are going bankrupt. Personally, a lot of people were going bankrupt. So property values just dropped like a rock, right? So I started buying at that time. I didn't have a lot of cash then, but the cash I did, I knew what to do with it, right? I knew at that point, most people were holding on to their cash as much as possible. And I was saying, yes, I, I kind of don't want to lose it too, but I'll buy a house with it, right? At least I'll buy the house. I'm going to stay in it with it. And so with that first one coming out of all the properties I lost myself, with that first one, I eliminated my housing. And then when you eliminate your housing, even if you don't have much, the little you have piles up. That's the point. If, they, if you think about what most people in America are dealing with today, they have income coming. Right? <laughs> they have come, income coming in their names. And that income just switches owners and goes right back out. It goes to switches owners to Bank of America, to Chase, it switches bank, um, owners to um, whatever your favorite uh, store credit card is, yeah. you know, yeah. um, you know, just name it, whichever one. Like Chase Capital uh, One, all of them. Chase Capital One, <laughs> Capital One, what's in your wallet? Cash, right. that's what I have in my wallet, <laughs> not your card. Right. Um, so that's the problem, that it just changes ownership. It doesn't stay. When you eliminate your housing cost, your money actually stays. Because what else is left? Your light bill. It's not much. Most people can't tell you what their light bill was last month. It's not, it's not, hope, at least again, if you hire in some kind of profession kind of environment, it's like that stuff is, auto, you pay that automatic. Like no one is still going to the electric company and paying their right. light bill. Yeah. Like it's, it's small. It's, it's a small number now. Your water bill, it's small. Your, how much do you spend on groceries? Maybe that is, a, you know, again, if it's just a single person or even just a couple, or even a family, it's not that much. The one number we all know is that mortgage cost or that rent cost. Eliminate it and you would be amazed how wealthy you become. And find a way, I don't know how you need to eliminate it, but I think the thing is this, most folks have never even heard of the concept of eliminating it. They just thought they're supposed to always have it. You always, you always pay rent, you always pay a mortgage, you die. So just keep buying a bigger, 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 bigger house. You always have a mortgage. No, don't get me wrong. I love a bigger house too, but stay conservative in those early years, maybe the first two houses or whatever. Do whatever you need to do so that by the time you're rolling into that second or third house, you've had so much equity, you can just pay cash for it. When your parents are buying a $500,000 house, you go buy the $400,000 house. Stay a little bit behind because when they're paying a $500,000 mortgage, you're living in a $400,000 house paid for, which is better. I'll go to parties at their house and they'll come. My house is nice too. They'll come to my house. I mean, I may not have as much space as them. Oh, we have one in the backyard for the kids. My kids are doing pretty well, stay living in the townhomes. We still, they still play, they still do stuff. Right. But what I'm able to teach my daughter, what I'm teaching my son is this is what we do. We don't borrow money. This is how we work through. My daughter, my plan for her is by the time she's going to college, is to be in a situation where she's a landlord going to college. And we're like, why, why do you want that? Like, why do you want? It's because I really want to be able to teach. First of all, this is what we do. We hold assets, right? We hold yeah. assets. Mm-hmm. Your pocket money or your spending money in college, I want it to come from rents. I want it to be coming from tenants. So guess what? When the tenant doesn't pay, you're not getting paid. So you better make sure that tenant is well. <laughs> right? right? So there's that. 
And then by the time you're in college and now four years of properties are appreciated, you, you're wealthier, you're coming out of college as wealthy, as opposed to all your other pairs that are going to be in the hole because it is stifted and loan. Now, oh, by the way, she's not getting student loans either, by the way. Mm-hmm. Right. So you, you're not getting an experience that is completely different. And you're seeing the world and having access to the world in a completely different worldview um, and stuff. So wow. Hmm. I think I'm having some mindset shifts as well. <laughs> That's really good. Wow. And so you do a lot, right? <laughs> You've got businesses, you got the businesses with real estate, you have a family. So what systems do you have in place to help keep you organized, to help keep you focused, to help keep you, you know? Yeah. So I, I, I got that question talking to one of my team members yesterday, um, you know, um, getting a coffee, getting coffee. I was, I, I think the way I answer that question is I, I work in compartments. Um, so when I'm focused on one thing, that's all I have. Everything is shut down. Everything else is, is left behind. I'm focused on that thing for, for a burst of time. Um, it gets this time and attention from me. Boom. When that is done, I shift to the next thing. Um, yes, being able to multitask is very, very important. So in a given day, I can go from looking at, you know, anything I need to do with my new tech stuff and all the certifications that you and I have talked about <laughs> to taking a few calls from my property manager and kind of dealing with some of the things with tenants there was tenant paid or we need to deal with the city of Detroit on this or this repair has to be done in Atlanta. And then when that is done, shuts down. And then I'm looking at, oh, success prep. I have a class coming up in two weeks, SAT class, GMAT class, GRE class. I know people signed up, the textbooks order, boom. Yeah. So your brain has to definitely be able to shift. Not everyone can do that very well. I think this is the thing. Not everyone is going to run a business. Not even everyone is going to have a whole bunch of rental properties. I think most of my, um, you know, my friend groups, I think I understand not, most of them will never even hit 10 properties or even five, right? But the thing for me is being able to know what, set whatever your goal is. What is it for you, right? For some of them, it's the fact that they want to be able to just have their college, their kids call it fun paid for and kind of like that extra lifestyle the the outsider stuff okay yeah i want to be able to drive a nice car i want to go nice vacations i have to keep college fun okay how many properties does that take to do what would that kind of mean between the rents you get from them between maybe when they're ready to go to college you sell them you take that money then pay for the stuff what would you just set your goal i'm finding out that most people have not thought that far Mm. what i find is just like with my client that, you know, I, I give the advice to just pay for, for Georgia, Tech, Georgia, Georgia Tech being in-state fees. He's, they start thinking about that when they're going to the registrar and they're like, uh, or the week before, the month before, they're like, yeah, so how are we paying for college again? Right? Like if these decisions are made ahead of time, it kind of creates a different thing. For both of my kids, when they came back from the hospital, within the first week, of them landing in this home, there were about three things done in their name. Got their birth certificate filed for, okay? Mm-hmm. Got their college funds set up, right? And they had their bank accounts, you know, you know that, that usually comes a little later, but definitely having their college fund set, college fund set up. That first $200, just set up the account, boom, the money you have the birth certificate, have a social security number come through, those two things are set up. Um, 
because that's again that's how we roll just getting that system going it does it's not a lot because when you think about all the other monies you spend on crap if you just, it's just about focus on just saying okay these things i'm going to take care of this is what you do just kind of setting that legacy up um you know and, and stuff is, is really the way i kind of think about it nice oh okay so hmm, setting up the college fund the moment the kids come out so Absolutely. what type of um, college fund do you do you like use a 529 or yes. some of the 529s I think that just really one of the best just the best option I mean just to keep it simple there are 529s that are they're, they're different plans right so you find some folks who would say oh you know I'm going to set up one directly for the college I want the kid to go to you know no my kid is going to Alabama there you know I just set up because no don't do that <laughs> don't do that because things change yeah things change the football team in Alabama is not going to be the same thing in 30 years in 20 years <laughs> Trust me. I know you think they're hot right now they might not be hot there so no um don't even set up necessarily once with the state again things happen what if you move to another state what if you know all kinds you could go international and there are so all kinds of things that could happen but the 529 honestly gives the best um the 529 gives the best somewhat control of being able to say this money is for educational purposes it's going to be set up that way it allows you even if the first sibling maybe gets scholarship academic scholarship and they don't use it it rolls to the second sibling and then even if the second sibling does the same thing which what i'm hoping my two kids would do then that money can then be taken out you know they'll get a small a little bit of a penalty because it's not youth academic but then you kind of get a refund from that as well so you have the most controls on that the idea then also, to be honest, is if we're doing everything we're supposed to be doing, might be to, to pay for that stuff, cash at that point, depending on where they go, right? You might even be paying for cash and you might not even, you know, so the, the, it's, it, the idea is the 529 is almost like it's some kind of savings insurance, really. It's just to have that backup to say, okay, we can pay for it this way. We could pay for it in cash. We could pay for it. Again, if you're doing all the right things, you want to get to that point and have a plethora of options to pick from, really, is what you're kind of sort of want, wanting to do. Nice. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah, because I know with 529 plans, I mean, when I just Googled it, I was a little confused because it seemed like there were about 20 different time. plans. Yeah. And one is only for this state and one is yeah. only for this school. So I was yeah. like, wait, where? Yeah. <laughs> Most, most, the one I have them on right now is, you know, we're here in Georgia. Um, I'm actually using the 529, the Georgia plan. It doesn't mean they can only go to school in Georgia. It just okay. means all that actually does is, and I just found this out, is you actually get a tax, is it a tax write-off? You get some, you get a tax benefit. You can write, yeah, you can actually write off, I believe, your premium for that given year because it's an in-state plan. Actually, I'm so glad I'm bringing this up because I'm setting up my taxes now. I need to remember, remind my, <laughs> my tax, uh, um, uh, my tax uh, CPA about that. Because I'm doing the Georgia plan, the Georgia state taxes, you can write it off, off of that because it's a Georgia state plan versus if you just did one with your financial advisor, you don't get to write off that premium on your state taxes. But because you do a state plan, you can write it off with your state taxes. But talk to your financial advisor about that. Yes, yes. Expert, yes. Let's this do that. For intent purposes only, we don't yes. come for us. Yes. yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Wow. Well, yeah, you dropped a lot of great, great actual knowledge. And so, Olu, looking back, you know, on your life, you've given us the full sort of view of every well most of what you've gone through financially yeah. so do you have 
um, any regrets or anything you think like, oh man, I wish I would have done this earlier or did things this way? Right, right. Um, I think, I mean, with, even with the things, the, the mistakes made or the, you know, slightly left turns that have been taken that wasn't planned, um, you know, you learn from it, right? You, you learn from it, you grow from it. Um, you look back at it because in a lot of ways, no one is perfect. No one has a perfect path. Actually, I, I always struggle with folks who were straight A students throughout. Mm. You know, so MIT, you know, obviously one of the best schools in the world, has a problem usually in a freshman year. This is not something you would find in most publications or stuff. It's not a secret or anything, but oh, it doesn't get put already. out. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't get put out there. But this is the deal. Because think about the kind of kids who get into MIT. They're some of the best in the world. These kids have been excellent throughout. So you put them all in freshman year at, at MIT. Do you think they will all get A's as well? No, it's MIT. Right. <laughs> this is going to be the biggest challenge you've ever seen. And some of them will still do very well. But MIT knows to keep the, uh, and I don't know if I can say this on your, on your podcast. But oh, say the, it, say it. We <laughs> to keep the suicide rate down, they don't get grades in freshman year. Most people don't know this. Ooh. It's a pass fail. <clears throat> Oh, wow. Because these kids have been excellent all their lives. They've never had a setback. Mm -hmm. More, um, um, MIT knows you will get a setback here. And some of them can't handle it. Because it, it, it's, it's essentially the first time someone said, you didn't do well at this. And they can't handle it. And, and that's a problem. So to the, to the question on, you know, is there, you know, is there something you like to do to have done better or whatever? I mean, yes, there are. I, I wish I didn't do this. I wish I didn't do that. But when you look back at it, that is only going to make your wisdom level, your, your confidence level, your skin level only stronger. So if you look at an environment, they can't handle it. So just do a pass fill to at least get them kind of adjusted to the environment. And then maybe grades come later. It's essentially how from, from a lot of things I've gotten is essentially wow top schools like that do it because they getting students who are not used to um they're not used to um to to failure or setbacks or of things not going perfectly the idea of something being perfect is not no trust me i am the type that i drill get nailing it i am i'm a stickler for nailing things i mean stick my daughter knows it she was talking to me about that it. it's like you know you make me like i need to get yes you need to get it right but I also understand that mistakes happen. It's okay, it's fine, you missed it. So what do we learn from that? Well, how can we do that better? Next time I wanted to get it right, you get it right first time, but it's, it's helping them. It's okay. It happens, but let's learn from it. Because the stupid thing is to keep making the same mistake. I don't want you to do that. Right, right. right? right. Um, don't make the same mistake. But what can we learn from that? How do we get stronger? Because my push for no debt and eliminating your housing costs came out of a lot of the debt from the finance, from the real estate stuff that I dealt with in, in, in 26, 2006, 2007, 2008, um, when I lost a lot of properties, got foreclosed on a lot of properties and everything. And I just told myself, look, I'm not gonna borrow money from them anyway anymore, right? I don't care about credit. Think about it, credit in a way, the credit number is designed around you borrowing as much money 
borrowing for a long period of time, reborrowing and borrowing more, to who is, who is that serving? You just buy more crap with it and you're paying more interest to the banks. So I, you know, I always say the banks don't know my address because they don't mill any payments here. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so you, you know, it's just getting, being content about what you have and understanding that you can, you're even going to have more than most people are going to be able to say they own, truly own, because you're just disciplined in those early years to have a little less so that you can actually pay for what you want. This is not even suggesting a life where, oh, you're going to be in this, in this um, discipline of lack and yeah. austerity. It's in not even that. All day, yeah. no, 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 rice and beans. No, 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 no. I drive well. I vacation well. I dress well, right? But that comes from having some moments of discipline to be able to say, I'm going to withhold those things for a while to get certain things in place. I buy assets before I pick liabilities, yeah. right? So that those assets are generating some kind of cash flow, some kind of rent, some kind of that pays for the shopping, that pays for the vacation, that pays for the car. Mm. Yep. I buy assets before liabilities. Like yeah. Awesome. And then... You know, you you clearly are a person who, you know, seems very grounded and very focused. And do you have any sort of mantras or like um, things or anything like that that like keeps you grounded when you wake up in the morning? Yeah, well, so on my IG page, which I'm guessing at some point you're going to ask me for. Yeah, (laughs) yes. um, On my IG page, looking at my IG right now, I believe I have it right there on the... uh, on the top. So if I go to my IG, it says, um, it says, um, so my IG page, by the way, is Oluvitz. That's O-L-U-V-I-T-Z. So Oluvitz. Um, and it says, making things happen in Atlanta. I appreciate my position, but I'm always planning my promotion. Mm. I appreciate my position, but I'm always planning my promotion. So the actual problem I have is I can't sit still. I am actually, I guess they call, they say I'm ADD somewhat or have some kind of. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. I see it in my son now. He's 17 months. He's like, oh, oh, you know, yeah, most boys are like that though. But, <laughs> but my problem is I, I, um, I, I'm always thinking of the next thing. I just am always thinking of, there's no way I am sitting and say, oh, I've done very well. And so I think this is my time to just sit down. Obviously, I take moments to enjoy, to breathe. I have a nice time. I love hanging out with folks and having great conversations, just chilling out, just having a meeting of great minds. Um, But ultimately, I'm always planning that next thing. And it drives my wife crazy most of the time. But I tell tell her, I mean, like, look, I, I can't. If you sit around, the entire world will pass you by. Have you ever seen an athlete who just, I mean, you take a LeBron James as an example. You hear all the time, all this stuff, you know, that's said about him, that he's the first in the gym and he's the first one in and first one out and last one out, you know, Kobe Bryant, all these greats. And one of the, I don't know who I was, I, I was listening to a, an interview of someone, one of his other teammates who said, so, but why is he like that? He's already very good. He's already very great. If he retired today, he's one of the greatest of all time. So why does he keep working that hard? It's because folks like that all have a fear. And I tell my wife all this, this all the time. 
I actually am motivated by fear. Is the fear, in my case, the fear of failure. I'm so afraid of being bankrupt. I'm so afraid of lacking and being homeless. I'm so afraid of not having to, to feed my family or being able to take care of myself or being able to you know, give to those I love. I'm so afraid of that that it drives me like I have nothing. Mm. So I operate, it's, it's a weird thing. And some, some psychologists might say it's a very unhealthy way to live, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, talk to me when you have my kind of net worth and balance sheet. Ooh, then we can have that conversation. <laughs> don't tell me. Is that what he said? Yeah. Okay. yeah. <laughs> don't, don't talk to me about that. Because if you look at some of the greatest in the world, they function, they actually not, there's something wrong with them. <laughs> there's something really <laughs> wrong with them. They're not normal because <clears throat> my plan is not to be normal. Your goal should not to hit normal. Your goal shouldn't, if your goal is to hit normal, you will ultimately recede back. You, if you're, that, so LeBron James, uh, top athletes, those kinds of guys are so afraid of some young cat coming, coming up the ranks and just beating them at their craft mm -hmm. before they retire. So he's working as hard to make sure that young cat coming in who, yes, is 20, 15 years younger, 12 years younger, 10 years younger than him, who technically should be faster than him, stronger than him, he needs to show him, I was here before you and I'm going to outwork you. Mm. And that's one of the things I tell folks. You don't even have to be the smartest guy in the room. You just have to be the one who outwork everyone else in the room. You have to walk into that room and let everyone know, I get it. I may not have the same pedigree. I may not have the same money, but I will outwork you. I will stay up longer. I will research harder. I will study harder. I will do everything I can possibly do to be at my very best. And that doesn't say you are going to be the best of the best. There will always be someone that has more money than you, more houses than you, going better vacations than you, whose Instagram page is more lit than you. There will always be. you. So there is a level of you need to settle in where you are. That's why I say I appreciate my position. But that promotion, trust me, is being worked on on a daily basis. Hmm. Wow. I appreciate my position. I'm always looking towards my promotion. I like that. Awesome. Wow. Well, hmm. I am full. You've dropped <laughs> a lot of knowledge. Okay. Yeah. And I hope y'all can really appreciate it because yeah, this is, this is definitely a bit of a mindset shift. And so then honestly, my last question is just kind of like, you know, one of the funner questions, do you have a favorite food or drink that you like? <laughs> um, Almost like, let me expand that question a little bit some of my favorite things, right? <clears throat> so again, if you're trying to think about it, working this hard and being always this, this driven, there's a tendency at times not to be able to stop and smell the roses like they say, even though roses have no smell. Huh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, really just like, I mean, when they're in candles, yeah, and stuff like that. <laughs> but um, I've, I've come to, uh, I, I think my wife is... Um, is the one to 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 blame for this um <laughs> or to be credited for this um it's just to kind of enjoy um traveling and enjoying going to places um i have i have um come to appreciate the fact that and obviously this makes sense to coming from somewhere else in the world right and really like the world is a very very different place but because i'm a contrarian i like to flip <laughs> things around I, I never like if you tell me this is how things have always done i would do the opposite of it <laughs> I just, um you know one of the things i tell people is if it's not broke break it 
You know oh, how they say, they say if it's not broke, don't fix it. Yeah, if not, if it's not broke, don't. Uh, oh, does it go again? If it doesn't, if it's not. Yeah, um, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But you it said, not, if it's not broke, break it. That's break a it, very yeah. techie thing to say. <laughs> and this is the reason, because if it's not broke, and if you don't, if you if you say it's not broke, don't fix it. Nothing great will ever come out of that, because it says that you're unwilling to break. Break it is really coming from, if it's not broke, break it says, break the way you've always seen it. Break and look at it from another angle. Break and just disrupt it. Isn't that what all technology is? The top wealthiest people in the world, just name, I don't even care what the industry is, not just in tech. Tech sees it a lot, but is it in fashion? Is it in real estate? These guys and guys and ladies have essentially in a lot of ways disrupted and broken how things have been. That's how they got incredible amount of success. Because if it's looking like this and everyone just runs around it, if that is formed, you can't really do anything, can't do. But when you break it and you take a piece and you go create this new thing here and then that grows, that's where the incredible success comes from, right? So I look at it as I like to have experiences that are unique. Like I like to curate experiences. I like to do things. So for example, just before COVID in 2019, this is one of my most fun, proudest uh, vacation stories, um, fun things to do. It's like, I like to go and experience certain really, really nice things. So think about Christmas. What is one of the most common universal lines about Christmas? A white Christmas. Mm-hmm. You hear that all the time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Considering that only a fraction of the world will ever experience that. And Christmas is everywhere in the world. Like, most people around the world will not actually experience a white Christmas. So I said, Okay, how about I curate an experience where my family and I would go and spend Christmas in the middle of the Sahara Desert. Mm. And what does that mean? Essentially in Morocco. So we went to flew out into Morocco and I had this experience where we, we, laid, we stayed in these desert tents. Um, if you go to my Instagram page, you can see that. Um, and instead of surfing on snow, slo- snow slopes, we were surfing on sand dunes. Actually, literally surfing little surfboards, but it was on sand dunes because it has the same effect. But in the middle of the Sahara Desert. So having a, instead of a white Christmas, had a brown Christmas and the sand kind of looks brown. Yeah. Color, <laughs> color that is. Brown Christmas. Yeah. Brown sandy Christmas. You know, a white snowy Christmas. So just being, and those are the kinds of things where I just kind of think about those things different. I try to experience the world almost like upside down. Just turn it upside down. Because if you turn it upside down, you have a completely different view of the same thing, but the, the view is different. And that's okay for it to be different. Oh, oh well, I'm inspired. I'm gonna go be a disruptor. So <laughs> I got some things to break. <laughs> I appreciate you. This has been, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for all of the nuggets and all of the knowledge. And we'll be sure to put your, um, your information in the description as well as on the website. And once again, thank you. Thank you, thank you. All right, so that concludes our two-part series with Olu and woo, the response has been amazing. Y'all have been downloading and listening to these episodes and I am super pumped. We got so many more amazing guests for 2022 and really lots of great nuggets from Olu but the one thing that stuck out to me was the thing about the IT or MIT students right a lot of times we think our setbacks will be the thing that destroys us but 
adversity is needed. It builds character. It builds uh, um, uh, fortitude. It builds knowledge, your knowledge base. And, you know, again, we don't want to keep repeating the same mistakes, but I mean, learning and keeping it moving. And I know that um, some older millennials listen to my show. Hey, shout out to you. And you may feel like, oh, I haven't saved enough or I haven't done enough or it's too late, but you are breathing. It is never too late, okay, to get um, started on this journey. And yeah, y'all, be blessed. Toodles. <laughs> and that pretty much wraps up today's episode. Thank you for joining me. I hope you got some new insights or maybe you just got some confirmation on a couple of things. Let your girl know. Feel free to reach out to me via email, hello at demcoinsonline.com. Also, feel free to check us out on Instagram, dem.coins. If you have any good topics, cool new strategies, let me know. And while you're at it, feel free to write an awesome five-star review on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends about me, okay? <laughs> I am so excited for all of us on this journey. And until next time, stay encouraged.